Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. We do value the study of God's Word, and this is an important part of what we do, right? Studying God's Word is super important. Uh, we all have something to learn from God's Word, whether you're new to church, whether you, uh, you know, not sure what you believe about the Bible, whether you've been in church for years. Uh, we, we all come to the Scripture and we submit our lives to it, you know? We just, we ask the questions of Scripture, like, what is Jesus, who is Jesus? You know, even if you've sung, like, all the songs, the nursery rhymes, you've put flannel on a board, like, I don't know what your background is, Sunday school, growing up in church, like, there's something for us all, you know, not one of us knows, knows it all, you know, and, and uh, I learned that weekly, it seems, but anyway, we, uh, we're studying the book of Matthew, as you guys know, and we've been in uh, a section of Matthew, chapter 8 and chapter 9, in, in which there's 10 miracles, 10 miracle stories, uh, all performed by Jesus, there's five in chapter 8, uh, you remember the leper was healed, Right? Jesus touched the leper. He healed the leper. The, the centurion's servant was healed. Uh, even a mother-in-law gets healed by Jesus in chapter 8. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And then we have the story of the storm. That was a big miracle, right? Jesus calms the storm. And then he casts out two de- uh, demons from two uh, demon-possessed men. Uh, so now we find ourselves in chapter 9. We're almost to the end of chapter 9. Uh, there's this story and, and then one more story next week that we're going to take a look at. And uh, we've got one miracle that's already happened, uh, the paralytic, you know, the guy that got lowered through the roof. And then Jesus, he not only heals him, he forgives him, which that started a real controversy because the people of that day were like, only God has the authority to forgive sins. How can you forgive this man's sins? Well, the reason Jesus could forgive that man's sins is because Jesus is God. He's divine. And that's one of the things that we learned in that story. Uh, we got two more uh, miracle stories today and two more next week. Uh, the miracles in chapter 9, uh, I really love these miracle stories because the stories in chapter 9 teach us about the freedom that Jesus came to bring. And I think I've said, you know, having grown up in a pretty conservative church background, you know, uh, suits and ties, pews, organ, music, hymns, you know, um, I, I think that I, I like mistakenly, it's been easy for me to, to look at religion or faith as bondage in a way, right? Like, I remember growing up, like, this is a system of rules that I have to follow. It didn't always feel that free, if you know what I'm saying. And maybe you can relate that sometimes our faith, uh, you know, if we relate to it wrongly, it doesn't feel all that free. But the faith that we're talking about, when you put your life in Jesus, it brings freedom. And so chapter 9 is, has taught us about the freedom that we have over sin, right? And Jesus' ability to forgive sin, the freedom that we have, like, socially, to be with people of all walks of life, right? Like, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He didn't just hang out, you know, with the most godly, righteous people. There's freedom socially in Jesus from separatism. There's freedom from religious ritual, right? Like, we don't have to get so uptight and bogged down like the Pharisees did about, you know, all these separate rules that put us in line, with God. So we had freedom from religious ritual. Uh, not that those rituals can't have meaning, but in Jesus, the power is in the meaning, not in the ritual. 
right? It's in the heart, not the habit. And uh, in today's story, we're going to see that Jesus also came to bring freedom from sickness and uh, death. And uh, having had parents personally who have died recently, like, um, this is like, this is a powerful reality that I want to embrace more and more. The idea that in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, one day we will be completely free from sickness and death. And that is good news, amen? Yeah, it's super good news that sickness and death, they really, they have no power over us eternally. You know, and sometimes we can feel the opposite, you know? Like just for example, I got these fingers that won't stop cracking and bleeding. And if you know me, you know that like for years now, I've dealt with like cracked fingers. And I'm, I'm, I've been praying for healing over these dumb fingers because it makes it really inconvenient to use a touchscreen when I have Band-Aids on my fingers, right? And if I don't have Band-Aids on, I bleed. But anyways, uh, I'm thankful that someday we'll have freedom from even the most little annoying infirmities, you know? And Jesus came to bring us freedom from sickness and death. Uh, today's story has a parallel account. If you go to the, the Gospel of Mark, which was actually written chronologically, we think, before uh, the other Gospel accounts. In fact, we think that Mark was the first book written uh, that, that later was put into the New Testament. But the book of Mark has a parallel account of today's story. And as usual, Mark gives more details than Matthew gives. So Mark was like, I don't know, he, I, he, he just uh, he, he put all the colors in the story. Matthew, for whatever reason, tells the story just a little bit more directly. He gets to the point a little bit more than Mark does. So it's really good to use Mark's story as a cross-reference a cross-reference, sorry, because he just gives a little bit more details that help us dissect the meaning. So if you want to look at that, that's in Mark chapter 5, and I, do, I give you permission, if you have the Bible on your phone, you're totally welcome to be looking at your phone as long as it's the, uh, the Bible app and not Sports Center that you're looking at while I'm teaching. Uh, there's three themes that I want to take a look at today. Um, and Cooper, you could even go to the next slide and just leave it up. I think there's two slides beyond, because there was, yeah, one more slide, sweetie. Um, so there's three themes that I want to take a look at. One more slide over, Coop. Um, I, I want to take a look at the theme of faith, uh, freedom, and females. So we're going to look at faith, freedom, and females uh, in this passage. And you're looking at me like, females? Okay, what are you going to talk about? All the women's ears perked up. What's this man going to tell me about being female? One of the things that I know about the word female is that when I look at it, I cannot help but seeing tamale. So all I see is tamales when I look at the word uh, females, and I don't know what that says about me, or tamales or females, probably nothing meaningful, but um, I don't know. So anyway, uh, I think there's three themes uh, that, that we're going to take a look at today. Um, as we observe how Jesus acts out the ways of the kingdom, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, he's preaching. He's telling you about his kingdom. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? He's telling us his kingdom virtues. But in these two chapters of Matthew, we see him acting out his kingdom virtues. And so uh, one of the, uh, the themes today is faith. And you've, I, I did, I asked Megan yesterday, I showed her like some of my sermon notes, and I was like, does this feel like, I, does this feel like every sermon I've preached for the last eight weeks? Because faith has been such a, like a, a, a pronounced theme for each of these stories over the last eight, uh, over the course of chapter eight and nine. And so I, I hate to break it to you, but faith is again a theme uh, in today's story. And 
Like, this is one of the things about uh, studying the Bible just, like, chunk by chunk, not skipping, and even trying to go in order, is that, like, I think you start to pick up on, uh, like, the, the importance of repetition, right? What gets repeated is important. That's a liter literary strategy. You kids knew that? Have you learned that in your English classes? Like, when you're reading a book and you see repetition, that means it's important. Hey, newsflash, faith is important, isn't it? Faith is really important. So all these stories, it's like Matthew's just continuing to try and get our attention. So I'm sorry if that's boring to you, but you must need to hear it more, right? That's why it's in scripture, because we need to hear it. So I was trying to remind myself of that. Faith is one of the, the highest values of kingdom living. Uh, remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's Hebrews 11, uh, verse 16. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But... It says in Matthew 17, 20, we're going to get there in like 10 years. We'll get to Matthew 17. With just the right amount, of, with just a little bit of faith, right? With just a little bit of faith, you can move mountains. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with just the, the faith of a mustard seed, nothing is impossible. So faith is one of the highest kingdom values. We also see in this passage freedom. I already mentioned the idea of freedom, but Jesus' kingdom did not come so that we would be bound to a set of rules and regulations. Jesus' kingdom is about releasing us from burdensome religion. Jesus came to set us free from sickness and death, as we'll read about in this passage, but ultimately, like, to give us new life, right? That's the foreshadowing of what we see. Jesus' ability to conquer death, as we'll see in this story today, is a foreshadowing of the ultimate resurrection life that we'll have. That the idea that we won't stay dead, if we put our faith in Jesus, we won't stay dead. That some, there's new life for us to be had. This is what Jesus taught. There's freedom. There's freedom for us. Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that you've been set free. You've not been free or set free in Christ to live in bondage to a set of rules. You've been set free in Christ to be free. So live freely. That's what Paul would say in Galatians. And then thirdly, I think this passage, it says something to us about females, about the value of women, the inherent uh, equality that we share as males and females. Don't hear me. That's not sameness. We are not the same. Men and women are not the same biologically. We don't believe that. But, but put yourself in the context here. You may have heard that the ancient Middle East was not a place where women were living free lives, right? I mean, ask yourself, if you look at the context that this was written in, Jesus comes on the scene, and in this passage, he, he raises a girl, a female, from death. He heals a woman with a hemorrhaging problem. Jesus loved females. The fact that these stories get included in the scripture is powerful, why do I say that? Why do I, why do I take the, the opportunity to, to really highlight this? It's because, is that the reputation of the church? Like, does it, like right now, like I've just watched a little bit of news. I don't know that the reputation of the church is that we're this place where females can really thrive and be free, you know? And I think that's because, you know, we've gotten off track in ways, if we're honest. We've gotten off track, and chauvinism has reigned, right? Um... Anyway, I'll talk more about this later, but, you know, um, Jesus was so advanced in his sociocultural worldview 
And in a lot of ways, you guys, we still have not caught up to where Jesus was in his social cultural worldview, right? And we live in a world that, that's like promoting these ideas of, you know, like our world has kind of realized that we got something wrong with gender and, and, and roles and all that, but we still haven't got to where Jesus got to. Jesus came to set us all free. Man, woman, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. Jesus came to set all of us free. So I do want to say something about females today because I think there's something important in this passage and it. I want to say something about gender today because I think that it's important that we do, like, we, we got to talk about in the church these issues that our, our culture is living with. And they're really hard. They're really messy issues. And some of us have, like, felt a lot of pain because of these issues. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert on all these issues. But what I do want to say is something about Jesus' value for females, which was extraordinary in that time. And we should hear it, and we should try to model it. We should try to be a church that makes sure that females have a place where their, you know, like their lives can thrive. Now that's a goal. Uh, that's something that we want to be about, because Jesus was about that. So uh, let's take a look in, uh, at the story today. So I want to start at, at the very beginning. I was told that that's a good place to start at the beginning. So verse 18, the first part of verse 18, it says, uh, while he was saying this, so Jesus is doing other things. It's just like one continuous narrative. You know, he just, he just preached about the wineskins. That was the last thing that we talked about last week. The new wine and new wineskins. So while he was saying this, a synagogue leader, okay? So like a religious leader, a Jewish leader of religion came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Now the first thing that I want you to notice about this passage, we've been talking about how Jesus came to make outsiders insiders, right? Jesus did not just come for those who already belonged. He said, I didn't come for the, the uh, healthy, I came for the sick, right? This is why when, it was so uh, profound when his first miracle story in Matthew was a leper, someone who had to live on the outside of society, right? And then he heals a centurion servant. A centurion would have been their enemy, right? The, the people that were oppressing them with military power. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, again, a woman, right? All outsiders. <clears throat> so Jesus did come to bring the outsider in. But in this story, this first story, the first thing that we see is the person that comes to Jesus is actually an insider, the synagogue leader. <clears throat> he wasn't part of a marginalized class. He was himself on the inside. And I think this is a good point for us to understand. Yes, Jesus did come for the outsider, but not at the expense of the insider. Jesus came for all of us. That's the point. For all of us. Jesus came for all of us. He came, he came not for the healthy but the sick. So what does that mean, Noel? Right? What does that mean that he came for the, the, um, not for the healthy but for the sick? See, here's the thing. We have to be aware of our need for Jesus in order to get Jesus. So we see in this story a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader who understood his need for Jesus. This is the key. If you want Jesus, it doesn't so much matter if you're outside socially or on the inside socially. What matters is your recognition of your need for Jesus. Listen, you guys, we have to be a people who understand that we need Jesus, right? And this is what it, this is what it means for us to say, you know, and some people, it's hard to hear the language. I've had friends over the, over the years, it, it's sometimes hard to hear the language that we're sinners, you know, 
Because we, do, we don't just only do bad things. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of you do good things. And even this morning, I've experienced some of your good things. So it's not that we're just like completely bad. But we do have this, like, this flaw in us that makes it, makes it to where we make mistakes. And we don't always do the right thing. You know? And so that's what it means to be a sinner, isn't it? So in order to come to Jesus, whether you're a social insider or you're a social outsider, you have to admit that you need Jesus. You need forgiveness. You need to be made clean. You have a condition, a sin condition, that makes relationship with God impossible without Jesus. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to be poor in spirit. See, this religious leader, he knew that he needed Jesus to heal his daughter. And so he came to Jesus in faith. Instead of like some of the other religious leaders that we've seen who reject Jesus, who mock Jesus, who, uh, you know, bring up controversies, who deny Jesus, this religious leader, he was poor in spirit. Even though he was on the inside, he was poor in spirit. See, Jesus' kingdom economy works differently than ours. His kingdom economy works differently than ours. To be spiritually needy is to be blessed in Jesus' kingdom. To be aware of your need for a savior this is to be blessed in Jesus' kingdom. Like in the way that we structure our world, to have, to be self-sufficient is like the ultimate value. But in Jesus' kingdom, to be needy is the ultimate value. See, we have, uh, we have this like propensity to build up what we call self-righteousness. I don't know if that word feels too big or too fancy for, for you, but it's simple, just the idea that you've earned your right standing before God based on your own merit. I think, Jake, this is what you're referencing, you know, that, that you observed in this conversation uh, with your uh, Muslim friend. You know, he was promoting the idea that we could earn it, that we could, through our own merit, be made right with God. Uh, this idea, this self-righteousness, it's a block to the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, right? If, if you have a self-righteousness of your own, you don't need Jesus, and that's the key to receiving uh, the gospel. It's the key to being poor in spirit and receiving the blessings of Jesus' kingdom. As long as you think that you have a righteousness of your own that you cannot receive or you will not receive the freedom that Jesus brings. As long as you rest in your own ability to fulfill the righteous commands of God, you cannot be saved and you'll not be rich in God's kingdom, right? Spiritually rich. You've got to become poor in spirit in God's economy. So we learn in this passage right off the bat by seeing this synagogue leader come to Jesus that everybody needs salvation. There is not one of us in here that does not need the salvation that Jesus brings. And even those that we think need at least need salvation. Hey, look, as your pastor, and my kids will attest to this, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I don't have a righteousness worth anything on my own. On my own, I have like a flawed nature, a propensity to sin over and over again, no matter how hard I try to do it right. Everybody needs salvation, even those we think that need it least. We all need Jesus. See, faith recognizes this deep need for him. No matter your social class, listen, you can have Jesus by realizing your need for him and coming to him in faith, just like this synagogue leader. The second part of verse 18 
but come and put your hand on her and she will live. This is the synagogue leader speaking to Jesus. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Other translations read, but only come and read uh, and put your hand on her and she will live. Oh, the faith in that phrase. In this synagogue leader, despite being an insider or whatever, take away the social class, this guy gets it. See, the leader expects that Jesus will come and he expects that Jesus will do something to remedy the situation. This is awesome. Like, we can learn a lot from this. We haven't graduated beyond faith. We need more faith sermons. We need to have faith like this, the kind of faith that comes to Jesus, confidently expecting that he can do it. And look in verse 19. What does Jesus do? What is Jesus' response to faith? And I love this. Jesus got up, and he went with him. Jesus got up, and he went with him. And then his disciples follow along. Jesus responds to our faith, you guys. It's almost like, um, it's almost like uh, faith has divine powers. Faith moves Jesus. We saw, uh, and we've talked a bit about the disciples who rightly left everything to follow Jesus when he said, come and follow me, right? And we've talked about just uh, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Matthew hearing Jesus' invitation and coming right away. Well, here, Jesus sees the invitation of a man full of faith, and Jesus responds. Our faith has divine power. This is crazy. Um, and, and, you know, I just want to say, um, because where, where there's faith, Jesus follows. Where there's faith, Jesus follows. And I've said this to some of you before, but I love this about our church. God has built this church not on a bunch of gifted individuals who have a lot of awesome skills and techniques and strategies. God has given this church a faith that he can do what he's put in our hearts to do. And so we rely on, on Jesus. It's, all, it's a beautiful thing, right? Like, listen, you guys, and man, I would love to be a great preacher. And, and I hope that I'm at least decent. But there are better preachers. You could find and be served by better preachers uh, than me. And I'm so glad. Because it is, the, the move of God in this place and through this church does not ultimately depend on me. It depends on the power of God. Right? And we have faith, though, that God will move. And that's extremely powerful. Having the faith that God will move is extremely powerful. This religious leader, he had the faith that Jesus could heal his daughter. And his faith so moves Jesus that Jesus responds and follows him right away uh, to his house. <clears throat> now, uh, if you know the story, there's a bit of an interruption here. Jesus appears to be on his way uh, to go to this religious leader's house. In the book of Mark, the, the, re the religious leader's name is Jairus. And uh, so Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house. And it says, uh, just then, this is verse 20 and 21, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. <clears throat> so a bleeding woman comes to Jesus and touches his garment. Um, it says in Mark's version that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years and that she'd been to every doctor that she could possibly uh, go to and had not found a, rem a remedy. Imagine the desperation. Get yourself into her shoes. 
Imagine the desperation of this woman who comes to Jesus and, and, and believes to herself, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. She's seen what's happening. She's seen Jesus preach, teach, and heal, and she knows that there's power in Jesus. And she says to herself, if I can only touch his cloak, uh, I'll be healed. So again, Mark's version is so much more colorful. Um, I encourage you to go there, Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> I think the key here is to, under, just to understand that experiencing the power of God, um, it, it's not all on us, right? It's not all on us. Touching his robe, she knew that Jesus was the source of the power. Sometimes we can try to muster faith in a way that puts the burden on us, right? But true faith is in his faithfulness. True faith is in his faithfulness. She says, if I could just touch his cloak, the power is in Jesus. So let's not get this twisted that we've got to like sum up just the right amount of faith, that it all depends on us to receive Jesus' power. He's the source. We have faith in his faithfulness. We can have faith because of his faithfulness. Faith doesn't heal. Jesus heals. Faith doesn't heal. Jesus heals. we got to get that right. Uh, in Mark's version of the story, it gets a little bit more detailed here. It says that Jesus looked around to see who really touched him. So imagine he's walking through a crowd and everyone was touching him. I went as a little kid. Uh, Michael Jordan used to come play. Uh, it was called the Broad Higgins Classic. Uh, Michael Jordan came and played a celebrity basketball game in Fresno. They would never do this anymore. There's, there's too much money at stake. But um, Michael Jordan came and played. And uh, my buddy was a huge Michael Jordan fan. So he had tickets and he invited me to go. And Michael Jordan would come out of the, uh, the locker room and we knew where he would come out. And kids would just throng and reach to touch Michael Jordan as he came out. You know, that, I don't know why. We just we wanted to be able to say we touched Michael Jordan. Well, this is the scene, right? People are following Jesus. They're reaching out and they're touching him. There's a crowd of people touching Jesus. Yet in Mark's account, Jesus noted, he says, wait, somebody touched me. And his disciples are like, well, there's all kinds of people touching you. But Jesus, he noticed something different. What was different about the, the touch of this woman? Her faith. Her faith was different. And I just, you know, you guys, I think that there's something really powerful for us in this. Like, in Scripture, faith is not just a general belief in Jesus, right? It's not just like, oh, I believe Jesus existed. I believe Jesus is God. Even, like, even the demons know about Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. Faith in Scripture is getting in touch with Jesus by bringing one's major need to him. Faith is bringing our major need to him and then expecting that he'll move. This is the faith that we see in Scripture. This is the faith of a woman who would crawl and believe in her heart, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. Uh, I think this is a picture for us of the narrow road that Jesus taught about, right? Um, there, there's a way to touch Jesus that is not full of faith. There's a way to touch Jesus that is not full of faith. We see it in this story, people touching Jesus. The crowds are all touching Jesus. But this one woman, in desperation and in need, she touches Jesus differently. And he feels a power released, is what it says in Mark's account. He noticed that it's different. I think this is why he says in chapter 7 that there'll be those that claim to know him, but at the end of time, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, right? 
Don't just touch Jesus, you guys. Touch him with the faith that this woman shows, with expectancy, with confidence. I, uh, I don't think this is easy. I don't think it's easy to have this kind of faith in Jesus. I felt convicted. Like, when I read this story, I feel convicted. Do I have this kind of, like, expectancy and confidence? Do I, do I have this kind of poverty of spirit? Am I at my wit's end? Imagine this woman, 12 years bleeding. She's a female with a uniquely female sickness. She's ritually unclean. She's been to every doctor in the book and nobody can heal her. That's the way that we need to come to Jesus in faith. She has no other options. She has no other options. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. This is how uh, we need to be. Well, Jesus turned and he saw her in verse 22 and he says, and I, I love Jesus is so sweet. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And it says at that moment, the woman was healed. Um, then, we, then we go on, moving on now. So Jesus, along the way, Jesus was a, he was, a, he was a bad dude, like in a good way. He was a good kind of bad dude. Jesus is just like, I mean, he almost just like, whoosh, 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 you know what I mean? He just like, normal course of events. Jesus is on his way to somewhere else, and he's healing people along the way. You know, man, he had power. It's unbelievable. So anyway, he continues on. He finally, he, he carries on to Jairus' house. In, in the book of Mark, it actually says that this has taken some time, evidently. This interruption has taken some time. So servants come from Jairus' house, and they say, ah, it's too late. She's already dead. Don't even bother to come. That's a powerful part of the story, uh, because Jesus says she's not dead. She's only asleep. And uh, we, we learn about Jesus that death is but a mere dream, according to Jesus. And that's the hope that we all share, right? That when we die, we'll not stay dead, but be risen to eternal life. Anyway, verse 23, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, uh, just a little aside, they, mourning was a big, car, a big part of Jewish culture. So if you had a death, you hired people to come in and help you mourn. So they were like professional mourners in, uh, in that day, you know? And I don't know, like, I don't like to cry. Um, you know, some of y'all might be even better at crying. Maybe you could have been a professional mourner if you had been in Jesus' day. Um, but anyway, Jesus comes into the synagogue leader's house. He sees a noisy crowd. He sees the, the people playing pipes. They're like playing songs of mourning. Uh, what are they mourning? They're mourning the death of this girl, right? And Jesus' first words to her in verse 24 are, go away. Go away. Uh, I, I think uh, we've seen a little bit of Jesus that, like, this way of Jesus to kind of uh, dismiss the crowds a bit. Like, Jesus had an odd way about him in a, in a day and age when uh, self-promotion or promoting your brand is, like, the way that we live our lives, you know? I mean, even when you start a church, or we started a church, we, like, we have an Instagram. Like, we're, like, we're wanting to tell people about this Jesus, right? Jesus... Jesus didn't have a PR campaign. He had no marketing strategist on his team of disciples. Jesus was the opposite of that. Jesus actually told people to go away. Uh, he was not a showman. He was not a show-off. I watched a video this week, and, and man, I'm really reserved to name names, but there's this guy, Benny Hinn, and I don't know if you've ever seen Benny Hinn heal people on TV. It is a show, right? It is a show. If you ever encounter somebody healing people in a way that feels showy or attention-grabbing, the spirit of Jesus is not in that person. In this story, we see Jesus turn away the crowd. 
<laughs> he, doesn't bring, he doesn't draw the crowd to see his healing. He tells them, go away. That's the first thing that he does when he gets there. Um, like, it's kind of shocking, honestly, that not even Jesus was really worried about promoting his own brand, you know? And the amazing thing, the last words of this story, you guys, the last words of this story is that news spread uh, throughout the region. It's like Jesus' strategy of not bringing people in, he didn't need the strategy, the power is what spread the news. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus' way is so different than our own self-promoting ways, but we learn a lot about Jesus <clears throat> uh, in, in the way that he handled that. And then he goes in and he takes the girl by the hand and it says that she got up, right? And, and again, like Jesus, super simple, you know? If I was ever to try and raise a dead person to life, I, I mean, I, I've never done that. Uh, but I imagine, like, I don't know, I'd be, like, mustering up all the courage, like, trying to pray just the exact right prayer, you know, like, putting my hand, I don't know. Jesus was just not showy. Why wasn't he showy? Because he had authority. He had the authority to do it. And so he spoke a word. He reached out his hand, and this woman, uh, this little girl, uh, raises from the dead. And we see that Jesus has ultimate authority over death. So notice here, Jesus has touched two things that should have made him ceremonially unclean, according to the ancient Jewish law. He, he touches a woman bleeding, right? Blood disorders, that was like, you can't associate with this type of blood. This is why this woman was such an outcast and why she probably had to work through so much shame just to come to Jesus, right? She's been living for 12 years as an outcast at her wit's end. So she touches Jesus. They, they believe that if you touched an unclean, anything unclean, that you became unclean. But that's not what happens to Jesus. They also believe that if you touched a dead person, that you became unclean. But that's not what happens to Jesus. Jesus doesn't become unclean when he touches something unclean. Jesus heals. He, he does a cleanup job when he touches the unclean. This is the power that Jesus had. Again, Jesus is not a mere man. Boys and girls. I don't know why that phrase came to my head. Boys and girls, as if you're all little kids. Boys and girls, Jesus is not a mere man. Jesus is the son of God. When he touches the unclean, he doesn't get unclean. He makes the unclean clean. And we see that in the story. Jesus, uh, his power over death, you guys, this should bring great hope. This is the first resurrection of the dead in scripture. The first resurrection of the dead. You've probably heard other stories, namely the story of Lazarus. Ultimately, the story of Jesus raising him, his own self from the dead. There is great hope in the resurrection, uh, our opportunity to be resurrected from the dead. The hope of Christianity is that we will not all die. We will someday, through faith in Jesus, be resurrected to new life. All the sickness, all the death, all the uncleanliness, all the infirmities, all the brokenness of our world, the injuries, the pain, the broken relationships. This is not our ultimate reality in Jesus because of resurrection. Jesus' healing of this little girl, it foreshadows his ultimate, death, uh, his ultimate authority over death. It's powerful what Jesus can do. As we, um, as we reflect, uh, I did, yeah, I, I guess I've said a lot already about uh, just gender and um, females in, in general, but I think it, it's not just about females, what I'm trying to say, it's about males as well. And I, I did want to say just a little bit more about it because as you guys know, June is like Pride Month, right? That's the phrase that's used. And um, I just, I, I just, I, I just want to say that like we've gotten some things wrong as a church historically, as it as it 
comes to gender. You know, namely, there's been a spirit of chauvinism and male dominance that's permeated uh, our church culture. Maybe not, I'm not talking about our little church, I'm talking about the church. Do you know what I'm saying? Shake your heads if you're with me on that one. And uh, man, I mean, and I don't know, like maybe we need to repent for that this morning. But here's the thing, like I don't wanna draw your attention to how the church has promoted and said about gender. I wanna draw your attention to what Jesus said about gender. Right? And one of the, I think one of the reasons that we're in the situation that we're in right now is because we have not valued female life over time. Right? Imagine the world that Jesus lived in. You know, they say, they say that in Rome, there were actually more, there were more uh, males than females in Rome. Why? Because female babies were often abandoned because they just did not have a value for female life. Right? We, you guys, again, Jesus was, a, he's ahead of where we are even now. Like, have you heard, in, like, for example, China and India, like, we see this same thing happening where the male population in some instances is twice as much as the female population because female life is just not valued. And it's no wonder that we're confused about gender because if you're, if you're a female born into that world, well, that really sucks. But that wasn't Jesus' idea for gender. Jesus valued male and female. I believe the Bible teaches that we're equal. We're different though, right? We're different, we're not the same, but we have equal value. Different roles, equal value. Man, I think you guys that we have to be honest about the fact that because of our history, we're gonna have to fight to like achieve a true biblical sense of what gender looks like, right? Because of the history of the church and the atrocities that have happened and the way that we've gotten off track, we're going to have to really fight for this. Jesus, he came for male, he came for female, he came for Jew, he came for Gentile. Insider, outsider. Jesus is for everybody. Hear me. Jesus is for everybody. We, we think, the Bible teaches, that there are different ways that God has made males and females. Okay? And just if anatomy on its own is not an, an evidence of the differences between males and females, um, you know, I, don't, I guess I don't know what to tell you, but we're different. We've been made to complement one another, though, and we think that both are beautiful. We want to see women here thriving. If we have a healthy church culture, women will thrive alongside men, okay? We, yeah, and we could talk about this more later. Yeah, we, there seem to be ways that God has equipped women to serve and to lead and ways that are different, that he's equipped and, and geared men to serve and to lead, but men and women equal in our church. We gotta fight for that. In our culture, I think this is one of the reasons that we're so confused about gender right now. We are so confused because, because of, I think, potentially, the way that we've treated women in the past. And so I just wanted to get to the heart of that, man, and I'm so frustrated to see the rainbow taken over by a, a set of beliefs that is not, like, the, you know what the rainbow stands for? The rainbow came from Noah and the story of God's faithfulness to his people. That's what the rainbow should mean. But our culture has gotten off track. Now hear me on this, you guys. We're not gonna be, like we will stand for the truth, but we're not gonna be haters. We're, we're gonna stand for the truth in love because that's what Jesus did. Jesus presented grace in equal proportion to truth, right? And we believe that living according to the Bible's like 
uh, outline for male and female life is good for us. It's good for men and it's good for women when we embrace this lifestyle. And we want all to experience that. We want all to uh, live the way that we are created to live. So I guess that's an aside um, to finish today. And I, I really weigh this heavily like because some of these topics do tend to be political. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't think that primarily my, my number one job here is to, to address politics. I think my number one job is to open up the word of God and, and reach your hearts, you know? But when there's issues that are in our culture that are moral issues, I can't not say anything. I've got to say something to you in love and, and address the issue. And, and this was a really good opportunity as we see in the story, Jesus addressing these women. And again, we can just gloss over these little things in scripture and not even notice, right? Because we have a different lens by which we see the world. But put yourself in that ancient Jewish context and realize these stories about women made it into the Bible. That is revolutionary, right? And, and if you're a woman today uh, here, uh, you know who you are. We know who you are. We're, we're glad you're here. And you hold me to this, all right? You hold me to this, that this is going to be a place where women can thrive. And if you see ways in which this isn't going on, you say something to me about it. You come talk to me. You come talk to a leader here about it because we want to strive. We're going to fight for it. It may not be perfect. We may not get it overnight, but we're going to fight to be a place where we embrace the way that we've been created and the beauty of God's creation, his plan uh, for our gender. Uh, for our gender. Um, hey, I wanted to actually end by asking if the women would stand. Uh, women, would you mind standing? I want to um, pray for women specifically. I'm sorry. I know you can't stand, but we're going to if you've got, guys, if you have a woman next to you, can you just lay a hand um, on her? Because um, I think one of the things that Jesus came to bring us is like freedom from this confusion around our gender and our sexuality and what it means to be male and female. And like I said, we're going to engage in this fight to, uh, to hold on to like a biblical idea, a beautiful biblical picture of what it means to be male and female. After I'm done praying, um, I'll have, Jay, you could actually come up now, but um, we'll, um, we'll have the chance to respond today uh, to, uh, to come forward and receive uh, the, uh, the table elements and uh, to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, but right now, let's just end our time together by, by praying specifically uh, for women. Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, that you've... Um, given these women here an impartation of faith to be here this morning, Lord. We bless them, Father. We, as men, uh, we apologize and we, we confess ways that we've like, um, been chauvinistic or our egos have gotten in the way. We've like, controlled and um, we've not empowered them to thrive, Father. We repent for that. We, we, we recognize that our culture, our church culture, the big church, Hopefully not this specific little church, but the, the big church culture has not always been very friendly. It has not always been very biblical in the way that it's responded to women. But Lord, we, uh, we don't have to live in, in like shame. We don't have to keep going that way. We can choose uh, your way. And so this morning, we, just, we acknowledge that we don't always get it right, but we want to. We want to look to your way, Jesus. We thank you that you've made male and female, that you've made us different, Lord. And we celebrate the ways that we are different. We celebrate the, the things that there are things in this world that only a woman can do. And there are things in this world that only a man can do. And we celebrate that, Lord. We thank you that you've made us equal, that you've made us different, 
and we thank you that your, your idea was beautiful. And it's, it's your idea that we're pushing back into, Lord. We want to push back into your idea for gender. So thank you, God, for these females. We, we pray a blessing over them, Lord. We pray that their lives would be fruitful. Whatever their roles are, whatever you've called them to, whatever their giftings are, Lord, we pray for fruitfulness, Lord. We pray for faith to grow in them, Lord. May they have the faith that, of this woman who, who like, like escaped or, or, or disregarded all shame at her wit's end. She came to Jesus just to touch the, the hem of his garment, Lord. We pray that you'd instill these women with that kind of faith, Lord. We pray that you would change our families, our church, and our community through the lives of these women right here, Father. Thank you so much for them. Amen.